So I'm going to start with a question this morning, and I'm actually going to give you about 30 seconds to think about this question. And then at the end, I want to challenge you to give yourself 30 minutes this week to ask this question and to actually list out these things and put them in priority order, okay? So here's the question. What are the 10 most important priorities in your life? What are the 10 most important priorities in your life? I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. Silence can be awkward, but I see the clock in front of me. So 30 seconds to just think about that question. All right, 20 is about all I can do. Okay, so 20 seconds. <laughs> think about that question as we look at this passage this morning. Here's the thing. We often say that our priorities are in a certain order, but then we actually live them out in another way, don't we? That's often what happens. How we live them out is actually what our true priorities are. Pastor Kyle likes to say, we do what we most want to do. Let me say that again. We do what we most want to do. Now let me just step back and give you a couple things to consider here a little bit. Um, we've got some athletes that have been coming to our, our campus, and if you've been a Division II or a Division III or a Division I athlete, did you know that when I talk to them, do you know that they get up and have to be at workouts at 6 a.m. in the morning? That they go and work out at 6 a.m. in the morning. Most of them don't love going to the gym at 6 a.m. in the morning, but they do love getting better at the sport that they're playing. Do you see the, the, the difference? They don't necessarily love the fact that they got to get up and be at the gym at 6 a.m., but they go and do it because there's a result that happens from it and that they're better at their sport. We do what we most want to do. I don't want to go do this, but there's a result that comes from it, and that's why I do it. Those of you who are working full-time, you don't love every moment of your work. Now, if you say you do, I'd really like to talk to you because there's got to be some moments that you don't, okay? We don't love every moment of it. But you do it, one, because maybe you feel like you want to be productive and the productivity of it and, and being useful matters to you. Or you might like the money you make. Most of us need to make some money, so we like the money we make through it. Or maybe you like the status that your career gives you. You don't like every moment of it, but the result of it, the reason you prioritize going to work is because there's a result that comes from it. And some of this is selfless and good, and some of it is self, selfish and can actually be harmful, right? So sometimes these things that drive me, these priorities that drive me, they are good priorities and have good things behind them and have good results. And sometimes I prioritize wrongly and out of selfish motivation, and they actually can turn out to be harmful. But more than not, it's often that our priorities, the list of them, have just become out of careless, out of a careless perspective in which we don't really think that much about what's important to us. We just are doing things. Anybody ever feel like that sometimes? Like you're just kind of doing. I get up and I got all these things to do and I'm not really carefully thinking through or if I prioritize, I'm just doing life. And it can become kind of careless. So sometimes we have these priorities and these goals and they're out of selfishness. Sometimes they're out of good place and they're not out of selfishness. And most of the time, though, we're just kind of living. And that's where we find ourselves in this text today. 
So my prayer today is that we'll come away from the book of Haggai with a renewed sense of the best priorities. And that we would consider our priorities and say yes to the greater and no to the lesser. And that we would shuffle the order of our priorities where we need to. And finally, my prayer today is that knowing and experiencing a relationship with God and his presence would be our first priority. That we would be able to grab our priorities and take a look at them and be able to say, man, maybe the most important thing should be to know and experience the presence of God and have a relationship with him. Now, let me just give you a little bit of the context of this book so that it'll help you as we dive into this. And, and if you've lost me already, come on back, because this is really going to be an important uh, message this morning, I think, because, man, it really challenged me this week and really brought me a lot of encouragement and joy. I'm hoping that it will do that for you as well. So here's a little bit of the context. In 605, between 605 and 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Israel that got split in a civil war, northern kingdom, got taken off into exile way back in the 700 BCs by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom has been taken off into exile a bit by bit by the Babylonians. And between 605 and 586 BC, they've been taken off and they're living in the land of Babylon. But in 538, Cyrus comes on the scene and king, he's the king of the Persians. So the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and he conquers the Babylonians, and he allows the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem. He issued a, a decree that they could go back. Now, a lot of them didn't want to go back. They'd already been living there for 70 years, and the Babylonians let them integrate into their society, so many of them were being successful, but about 50,000 people went back. And Haggai had been in captivity in Babylon at that time, and he was one of the returning exiles. And so he and Zechariah, another prophet that we're going to hear about in, a, in a, a week or two, are contemporaries. And they're living during this time, and they're coming back from exile. And what they're going to do, what Haggai, the prophet, is going to be speaking to them about is about reordering their priorities. The remnant, they're called, those who are taken off into exile and now have come back, are being called to reorder their priorities. And the first thing they're being called to do is to consider their ways. This is verses 1 through 6. We're going to see this twice, this phrase, consider your ways. The NIV will translate it, give careful thought to. I just love this part of the passage. It really caught me this week as I was preparing, this idea of considering your ways, because it's so easy, like I said, for us just to get going in life, and we don't consider anything. We're considering what we have for breakfast probably is about it, right? Because our lives are so busy. And he says, consider your ways. Listen to verses 1 through 6. The second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by, by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. So the prophet is speaking, okay? And he's speaking to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Josiah, the high priest. So when they sent them back to, to, to Jerusalem, they set up Zerubbabel as the governor, and Joshua becomes the high priest. And they're supposed to be rebuilding the temple so that they could worship the Lord because the temple got destroyed. The, the Babylonians destroyed the temple, and they sent them back now, and were allowing them to rebuild it so that they could worship the Lord. And so, thus says the Lord of hosts, the people are saying, here's what's happening. People are, are, had started to build the temple, and they got a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of distraction, and they finally got discouraged, and they stopped. So what they were sent back to do, they started, and then they stopped. And so it's been sitting there for a number of years now. And so the prophet says, 
here's what you guys are saying. The Lord is saying that this is how you're talking. The people are looking around at one another, and they're saying in verse 2, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So what they're doing is spreading misinformation, <laughs> okay? We know that term now today, right? We're spreading misinformation, and they're looking around at each other and said, because of the pressure that we've been getting from outside forces, and because of the discouragement, it's not the right time. Let's just settle down, build our houses, just start living our lives back here in Jerusalem, and then it'll be time to build the temple at another time. But they were listening to false messages. So verse 3, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and he's coming back and he's saying, it is time for you yourselves, excuse me, verse 4, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruin? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. There it is. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. You're over here living your life, building your houses, planting, you know, your crops, and just trying to live and, and survive over here. But I sent you back to build the temple. So he's saying, consider your ways. Is it time for you just to do your own thing? And then once you get around to it, you'll do God's thing over here? So he said, consider your priorities. Consider your ways. And then he says, how, how, essentially, how's that worked out for you, doing it your own way? This is what he says in verse 6. You have sown much, and you've harvested very little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're never full. You, you, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag full of holes. He's saying, essentially, it hasn't worked out very well for you doing it your own way. Prior prioritizing yourself and your things hasn't really worked out. He says, so look around you and look at the results of you doing things your own way. How is it working out? The harvest is little. You're hungry. You're thirsty. Your clothes don't last. Your money purse is always empty. You're struggling and you're discontent. Now, I want to stop here and just make sure we're being careful here. I'm not trying to say it. I don't want you to misunderstand me here this morning. I, I, what, what I want you to, to, to see, that you can be within God's will and still sometimes be hungry and thirsty and your clothes wear out and your money banks to be empty. I'm not talking about a health and wealth gospel that says if you're following Christ and if you're doing what God wants, everything will go well. That's not what he's trying to say here and that's not what we should take from this text. He is not saying consider your ways so what what he is not saying is consider your ways so that you'll experience financial and personal and physical prosperity. Okay? That's not going to be the point of this passage. Some people might preach it like that, that if you consider your ways and you do God's will, everything else will fall in line and be perfect. You'll have all the finances you need, you'll have all the personal prosperity you want, and you'll have all the physical health that that you want to have. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he is saying, and this is verses 7 through 11. Consider your ways and prioritize my presence with you. What he's saying is, I have a higher thing for you. I want you to consider your ways because when you consider your ways and do it my way, my presence will be with you. I will be in your presence. This is what verses 7 and following says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. There it is again. Give careful thought. He says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I, the Lord, might take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Do you see what his priority is? 
His priority is that if you go and build this temple, I will be in your presence, and you will do this for my glory. And if you remember and been with us the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the glory of the Lord and why it is that he can ask for us to glorify him because he is the greatest and the most powerful and the most amazing and the most beautiful being in the universe, and it would be wrong for him to give his glory to another. So he invites us to glorify him. And so he says, I want you to do this so that I might be glorified. I want you to build this temple and reprioritize things so that the temple is built and that I might be glorified. Verse 9, he says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And you brought it home and I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Don't miss that little piece, the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord of lords. This is the God of the universe. This is God Almighty the creator and sustainer of all things. And he's declaring this to his people. He's speaking. Think about that. God is speaking. And he says, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, while each of you have your own priority. Then he says, therefore the heavens above you have withheld dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. He says, consider your priorities because I'm the Lord of hosts and you have not prospered doing your own thing. You should be prospering by doing the things that I've called you to do. And so what should their priorities be? That's really the big question this morning, is what should their priorities be? And here's what they should have had as their priorities. The name of the Lord of hosts, because he's the Lord of all, he's God, the glory of the Lord of hosts, and the presence of the Lord of hosts. Now think of those three things one more time. The name of the Lord of hosts, the glory of the Lord of hosts, the presence of the Lord of hosts, and they were given up that as a priority to plant some seeds. They were giving up that as a priority to build some little old house that's going to fall down eventually. They were giving up that as a priority to be doing their own things that they thought were going to bring them more joy, security, and happiness. Essentially, God is saying, so while I thought I got your attention when I sent you off into exile, now I brought you back home and I thought that would get your attention to say, Look what God has done. He sent us off into exile to discipline us. Now he's brought us back home. And and his thought was that they would turn and want to make him the priority and his glory and his great name the priority. He says, now I'm trying to get your attention and have you think about what you should prioritize. Now here's the cool thing, because we don't see this very often. If you've been a Bible reader you will say, we don't see this very often in the Old Testament. And this is what's really cool about this passage. Starting in verses 12 through 15, the people actually responded and did the right thing. (laughs) They actually obey, and they do it with courage. So they hear this message, like, you have not prioritized my glory. You have not prioritized my name. You have not prioritized building the temple so that my presence will dwell among you. You've done your own thing. And they heard it, and they changed and did something about it. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Josiah, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and with all the remnant of the people, all of them obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. We should, if you've been part of the series long enough, we should all be going, praise the Lord, finally. <laughs> because throughout all of this, that has not been the case. 
and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. They obeyed all of that, the voice of the Lord and the voice of the prophet, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, and here was the Lord's message. Now, if you've lost me, come on back, because this is really amazing. Think about this. Think of all that they've been doing. Now they got their priorities all mixed up, and they're upside down. I'm with you, declares the Lord. Isn't that awesome? They have just recently changed their priorities, and now are saying, I want to do things God's way, and God says, I've been with you the whole time. Man, one of the things that I love about being a preacher of good news is being able to say that the Lord is with you. I'm not sure where you're at, and I'm not sure where you're at in your journey with the Lord, but I can tell you he's not far from you. Why? Because that's the way he is. That's the kind of God he is. The Lord is with us. Usually it's me who's going my way, not the Lord going, whoops, I'm going back. Okay, so here's me right here. The Lord is not going like this. It's me who's going like this. The Lord's right there. I'm with you, declares the Lord. And then listen to this. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. The Holy Spirit worked in him. We've been talking about this in the book of Ezekiel just recently, right? They needed new hearts. They needed transformation. So they obeyed the voice of the Lord, and they recognized that he was the true Lord. Not only did they obey it, they also said, oh, yeah, you're the Lord of hosts. And they feared and expressed reverence and respect for him. And watch what the Lord does. He begins to bless them. It wasn't material blessing. He says, I'm with you. We just looked at. I'm with you. My presence is here. Here's how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. And the spirit of the Lord stirred and turned them and gave them renewed courage, it says, a renewed energy, a renewed, reorganized priority. All of a sudden, they all got together and said, whoa, let's wake up and let's change our priority and let's do this together because the Lord has spoken to us and we want his presence more than we want our houses built. We want his presence more than we want the crops to flourish. We want his presence. We want to know him and the spirit worked on them and turned them and gave them this courage and a renewed energy and a renewed sense of priority, and they started working on this temple. Now, here's the thing. There's a thread to this. This is connected to the New Testament, and right about now, you're like, okay, where's this going? Please stick with me, because to me, this is super exciting, because here's what's happened. He's going to start talking about, in chapter 2, this turn and this renewed emphasis on building this temple And he's going to talk about the glory of the latter temple. And there's a question mark with that, because what is he talking about? And here's what happens. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant. Another message is coming. Who is Now, here's what's happening. Who is among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? What was happening, there was still, this was 70 years later, there were still some people alive who had seen the original temple. And when they saw this new one getting built, they were like, oh man, this is nothing like that one. This is so small and discouraging. So you had some that were rejoicing, the temple's being rebuilt, others were going like, 
but the first one was so amazing. And it feels so discouraging. And so he's saying, those of you who have seen it, how does this look? It looks like nothing in your eyes, right? And so you're feeling discouraged. Then he says in verse 4, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. You're looking at this, you're feeling discouraged because you're not making this massive temple like that was before. And you're trying to do this for the glory of the Lord. And now this is a smaller temple. And the Lord says to them, be strong. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, it says it again. All you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. All that in verse 4 of chapter 2. Be strong, be strong, be strong, and work, because I'm with you. And then he says this, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. I made a promise way back in Exodus to you. And he says, be strong, be strong, work according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. My spirit is here, says God, and I'm working in and with you, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, and this is really important, so not hear this. Yet once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I'll shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house. Now listen, this is a small puny temple. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And even if it was a massive temple, it is still just a building in a small section of the earth and he says, I'm going to shake all the nations so that the treasure of all the nations will come. And I'll fill this house with the, with the glory of the Lord of hosts. And you're thinking, no matter how massive that temple building is, how can that really be? And how can that really happen? That doesn't sound as significant. If it's just this big building and the Lord of hosts is going to dwell there, how's all this going to work? But he reminds them that I, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house, this is important now, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The latter, sometime in the future, is going is to be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place I will give peace, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Be strong, I'm with you, keep working. I want you to stop for just a minute because this is the transition that's so important that you got to be with me. Otherwise, this won't make any sense today. Think about all that we just talked about. A temple destroyed and rebuilt. A new temple that would house the presence and the glory of God in a greater display of his presence and glory than the first one. How is all that going to work? And why does it even matter? Let me just say it again. A temple destroyed and rebuilt, and a new temple that would house the presence and the glory of God in a greater display of his presence than the, than the first one. Why does any of this even matter? And I don't know if this will have this effect on you, but, man, as I was preparing this message, this sent a chill down my spine. So I hope it sends a little chill down your spine. Let's jump to John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. This is talking about Jesus. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So now the word, God Almighty, becomes flesh in Jesus, and 
John tells us that when we've seen him, we have seen the glory of the Father and the one and only. We have seen the manifestation of his glory in person, in Jesus. And then get this, Jesus walks right up to this magnificent temple that had been increased by King Herod, this one that was built in Haggai that was small. Herod increases it and makes it this massive edifice. And Jesus walks right up to it and says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the glory of the Father, manifested in the flesh. And he walks up to that great temple and he says, hey, guess what, Haggai, back there, I'm fulfilling that right now. And then he walks right in there and strolls right in there and he sits down and he opens up a scroll a scroll in, in Luke chapter 4 and it says this, reading from Isaiah, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as was his custom. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up and he read from the scroll and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight of the blind to settle at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits down. Everybody's looking at him going, what in the world? He just read this thing about the Messiah. And he sits there and says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in, my, in your hearing. It's happened right here, right now. Mic drop. <laughs> The greatest display of the glory of God, God the Son, incarnate in the flesh, sitting in the temple, the glory of the Lord, far greater than the latter temple or the present temple, the greatest glory of the Lord, sitting right there, filling the temple in their presence. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So in the face of Jesus Christ, we get the knowledge of the glory of God, and there he is sitting there in the temple, fulfilling what the thread has been saying all along. And this beautiful picture of God saying, hey, I got something way bigger than a building. I'm going to send my son. But get this, it doesn't stop there. It gets even cooler, <laughs> okay? Because the glory of God is now being displayed in little temples all over Duluth and all over the Twin Ports and all over Minnesota and Wisconsin and all over the world. Now be careful to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying we are gods, but we are filled with the Spirit of God. There is a teaching for a while that some people say, oh, we're little gods. We're not little gods. We're fallen, sinful people, created in the image of God, redeemed by Christ, but then filled with the Spirit of Christ. And so Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. So this glory has come down in the flesh in Jesus, dwelt in the temple, and now fills you and me. It's being displayed in little temples. What Haggai was talking about is being displayed all over the world. This is crazy and exciting and awesome. Way greater than a building. The presence of God living in us. Jesus residing or living in the temple of his people. The greatest display of his glory is the Son 
and then the Son's transforming power working through a community of redeemed people, get this, who prioritize his kingdom. That's what this is about, prioritizing his kingdom. So when the glory of Christ comes and lives in me and transforms me, now people can look and see, whoa, there's a little bit of the glory of God being lived out in his life and in your life when I prioritize his kingdom. Is that making sense this morning? Are you with me? Because this is important. The great display of his glory is the son coming in the flesh and then that son transforming people like you and me through his power and his spirit so that we could be a redeemed people that actually have the highest priority, his kingdom. And that's crazy. But I can't do that on my own. But with the spirit of the living God, I can actually prioritize things in the right way. You see, the rebuilding of the temple and the completion of the temple for the people of God in Haggai represented the person and the power and the presence of God being in their midst. What they didn't fully understand was that the rebuilding of the temple was connected to the coming of the true Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. And they were called upon to re-examine and consider the priorities of their hearts. Because Jesus, the greater temple, would come along and he would put this in the form of a command and an invitation. I hope you see this both as a command and an invitation. This very thing that they're asking the people to do in, in the book of Haggai, check your priorities. Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 6 and says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The first priority, the highest priority, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The very thing that they were asking them to do in the Old Testament. So here we are, back all the way around where we started. My prayer today is that we will come away from the book of Haggai with a renewed willingness to consider our ways or our priorities. That we would consider our priorities and say yes to the greater and no to the lesser. That we would shuffle the order of our priorities where, where needed. And we would be honest about it and move things around. My call to you very practically today is that you would take 30 minutes this week and write down what are the 10 most important priorities in your life. And then put them in priority order. And man, we've got a lot of things going on in our lives that are important. We have the kingdom of God that we're talking about. I'm, I'm married. That has to be a high priority. I'm a father. That has to be a high priority. I'm a pastor. That has to be a high priority. Some of you are students. That has to be a high priority. Those of you who are working, your job has to be a high priority. There's all kinds of things that fit in there. I'm not saying this is just about the only one is the, is the kingdom. All the rest of those are part of us seeking first the kingdom. If I'm seeking first the kingdom and being a lousy husband, that doesn't go so well, right? If you're seeking first the kingdom, but you're not doing your schoolwork, that's not working so well. So all of these things have to be priority, prioritized, but I want you to think through what are the 10 most important, and have you moved anything into the wrong orders? If your career is before your family, it might be the wrong order. If your education and a relationship and your marriage or even your children are above the kingdom of God, that's in the wrong order. 
And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you through the power of the Spirit to look at your priorities and spend some time saying, what are my top ten and do I have to move something around? It's my prayer that knowing and experiencing a relationship with God and his presence would be our priority. That's what happened there in, in the Old Testament. They were busy building their houses when God was saying, knowing me and experiencing me and having a relationship with me, having my presence in your life is being neglected. It's my prayer that we would prioritize and seek first the kingdom of God. And by the way, the last part of Matthew 6, 33, says when we do that, all these things will be added unto us. Sounds kind of similar to what was happening in Haggai. <laughs> do these things. Because I'm going to be with you. Be strong. I'm going to be with you. My presence will be with you. And guess what? I do care about these other things too. I do care about your food. I do care about your livelihood. But I want you to have the right priorities. It's my prayer today that you would grab that picture of Jesus sitting in the temple and go, wow, the thread. God doing all that work so that Jesus could sit there and say, this is being fulfilled in me right now. And now here we are 2,000 years later, invited to be a part of that and to be invited to seek first the kingdom of God, making that our highest priority for his honor and his glory and the sake of his great name. Because he deserves it all, right? Amen? I'm going to invite you to take a moment where you just bow your heads. I'm going to ask that you would just listen to what the Lord might be saying to you. My prayer is that he's speaking to each of us this morning through his spirit. Would you just listen to what he might be saying? And then we're going to close with a response time, time of worship, where we sing praise.